The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 30. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on Middles. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And we're joined by Marie Brennan. Marie, welcome. Excited to be here. Marie, what's your, what's your most recent book? You're out on tour right now, aren't you? Yes, for Voyage of the Basilisk, which is the third book in the Memoirs of Lady Trent. Outstanding. Well, Marie, we are taking questions uh, from our listening audience on middles, which is what we've been talking about all month. And Mary Robinette has the list of questions. Let's, let's have it. All right. So question number one comes from Anonymous. Ooh. Um, I know. How do you prevent tedium in the middle bits without something exploding every other chapter? Well, that's only a problem (laughs) if explosions are the only interesting parts of your book. Um, Those are my favorite rom-coms ever. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think the point being, you know, how do you how do you have something where it's to feel natural? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, discovery of new things, um, especially if it upends what the characters thought they knew. Yeah, I'm a big fan of. I actually I've said this before that I learned more about tension from reading Jane Austen than anyone else, because what I learned from her is that that the way it matters to the reader is by making it clear why it is important to the character. And, you know, you can go through an entire Austen novel and it's like nothing really happens except someone drops a handkerchief, but they drop it at the wrong time in front of the wrong person. But you know why this is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the tedium comes when the characters don't care about things or it isn't made sufficiently clear to the reader why this is important thing. I think that last week's episode, uh, you know, why should my character fail spectacularly? Yeah. <laughs> because that will break the tedium of the middle. <laughs> and that doesn't, need, that doesn't need to be an explosion. It just needs to be yeah. a really, really yeah, impressive yeah. How do they lose what matters to them mm-hmm. and then have to get it back or learn to deal without it? Exactly. Yes. And next month, we'll be learning a lot about uh, pacing 
which can help give a sense of progress to your middle. Even though they haven't arrived at the end, they're still working their way there. So, All right. Um, and that segues very nicely into a question from Klaus, uh, which is actually specifically a short fiction question. In short fiction, how do you prevent try-fail cycles from resolving too quickly without, a t without adding a ton more words? And do you use yes, but, no, and for this? Um, I do. I use yes, but, no, and when I'm doing short fiction. Um, for me, with the short fiction, um, I, I basically, this is my cheat, my hack. Um, I look at how long the thing needs to be, um, and I do try-fail cycles until I get about a thousand words or a page from the end of, and then I, and then I just resolve it. <laughs> yeah, I would say if you feel like they're resolving too quickly, then maybe you're trying to cram too many of them in there. Yeah. Or not enough. Uh, and if you're looking at, you know, without adding a ton more words, um, I would say just make your character try harder, but you still are being economical with your prose. You can also have a try-fail cycle in which the failure is not a setback failure that forces a reset of the pacing. Right. It's a, mm -hmm. right. that didn't work yet, we're still moving. You know, I fired, but I missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, or, or it could be the yes-but kind where, yes, it worked, but the problem's still not solved yet. Or it creates a new and exciting variation on the problem. Mm -hmm. yes. But not too exciting because this is short fiction. Yes, and we don't want to brand it out to 50,000 words. I'm totally using that as a verb from now on. <laughs> is it Brandon it out to 50,000 words or Sanderson it out to 50,000 words? Sanderson is too many syllables. Yes, yeah, Sanderson it out. That's Sanderson more is too many syllables for a verb, but that's why it fits. You're right. Well played, Mary Robinette. <laughs> yes. Um, so if Act 2 adds a lot more to the story, new POV characters, new subplots, new locations, etc., how do you spread out the introduction of these elements so that it's not too jarring to the reader? And this comes to us from Evan. That, for me anyway, that feels like a flawed premise. I feel like introducing POVs specifically uh, in Act 2 um, is itself kind of jarring, depending where we are in Act 2. I like, by the end of Act 1 to have introduced all the POVs unless there is a reveal that is jarring, you know, that is supposed to be jarring yeah. later well, in Act 2. You, you can also look at the structure of The Fellowship of the Ring, which introduces new characters at a pretty steady clip, but what he does is he will finish a subplot first. We have successfully arrived yeah. at Bree and Dodge the Black Riders. Okay, here's Strider. We have now successfully arrived at Rivendell. Okay, here's the rest of the party. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't necessarily mind new POVs being introduced in Act 2, but in terms of it being jarring, I feel like they should come in when it is natural for them to be appearing in the story, and it's when we are jumping away to someone we've never seen and have no reason to care about, and it's not even really clear why we're talking about them. That's where I think that things have gone astray. Yeah, and, and I would also say that... With, with everything that you're introducing, that you, you need to be foreshadowing to a certain extent that the audience can expect these things. For instance, yes. if you go through the entire first part of the book and you have a very regular pattern of character A POV, character B POV, character C POV, 
if you get to act two and you suddenly have a character D and we've never introduced anybody else, that's going to feel jarring. Whereas if you go through and you've got character A, character B, character C, and occasionally you slip in a very small thing from another character, that preps us for the fact that you are going to be introducing new characters all the way through the book. Um, likewise, subplots, you know, it's, I would be very wary about introducing a new subplot in the second act. Uh, new locations, those happen. Uh, but again, if you haven't warned the reader by the structure of the story leading up to that, it, it can potentially throw them out. Sometimes that's a design element. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. My concern with the, the way the question was asked is that I know a lot of uh, new writers, especially who are discovery writing, are adding POVs and locations and subplots in in Act 2 because they're really never going to get to Act 3. It's continuing to bloat and bloat and bloat, and they're losing their way. I and think so, that adding POVs in particular is very dangerous for that because yeah. you need to then flesh them out to a way that they deserve their point of view, and suddenly your plot is mm -hmm. growing like kudzu. So. Yeah. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Marie, you have our, uh, our book of the week, I believe. I do indeed. It is The Summer Prince by Aliyah Don Johnson. It is narrated by Rebecca Mozo and Lincoln Hoppe. Uh, Seriously, it, Lincoln Hoppe. Uh, I ran sound for him as a comedy guy 20 years ago. Huh. Is he I, funny? I was in a show with him in college. I was Charles Guiteau, and he was... No, he was Guiteau, and I was Cholgosh in Assassin's. Oh, man, Assassin's. you guys totally, totally need to buy this. Sorry, I, I derailed you. The <laughs> no, Summer Prince, fine. what's this about? Um, it is a young adult... Um, I, I would call it a dystopia, except that I think that leads people to expect a very kind of simplistic construction of society. And what makes this fabulous is that it's really complex in how it talks about... Um, art and politics and literally life and death in, I mean, that makes it sound pretentious, but it's a really good read. Outstanding. Well, uh, you, can, you can pick up a free copy of The Summer Prince by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and starting a 30-day trial membership. Mary, let's have another question. All right. So this is related, um, which is how do I weave subplots in without them turning into outright side quests? And that comes from Mav. So there's a couple of different ways subplots turn up. Um, one is that they are something, you've got a secondary character and you want to make sure that secondary character has an arc and so you create a subplot for that secondary character. Um, those are usually fine unless the stakes in them are higher than the stakes in your main story. Yes. <laughs> and then you think, why are we reading about these other people? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Um, So the thing that you want to look at is looking at ways in which the subplots intersect with the main plot and cause complications to it or uh, assist it along. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is this relevant to the other characters in the story rather than it being just of concern to that one person? and, And also, I mean, in real life, we're dealing with more than one thing at a time. For instance, right now... Uh, the Marie and I have a plot of we are on book tour. Um, I also have a plot of I need to record writing excuses episodes and a plot of I have to build a polar bear. <laughs> really, though, I mean, if I saw that one on the outline, I'd go polar bear. Really? Yeah. yeah. How, do these, how do these fit in with my plot to finish the Kickstarter? Exactly. So <laughs> this is a sprawling epic. But, but we introduced being, too many things. It's the point being that they all intersect in the wanting that we have to mm-hmm. record this episode. And so what that means is that Dan's day got complicated because he had to stop and pick up Marie and bring her here. Howard had to stop working on the Kickstarter. I am not building a polar bear right now. Um, I but am. It's, <laughs> but it's oh, really, can I borrow it? Um, <laughs> But it's something that we can do because it's a point where the main sub, Marie and I's main subplot or main plot of book tour has intersected with the plots of the other characters. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're looking for when you're looking for subplots with your character characters. Yeah, there's a particular kind of subplot that I think of as the Final Fantasy subplot that I see in a lot of uh, aspiring writer fiction where 
in order to complete quest A, they have to go on side quest B, but it doesn't really pertain to A in any way. Yes. This B will not get us closer. It's just that the old man with the information is kind of being a jerk and he won't tell me until I it's bring him some flowers or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's a hoop. Whereas if it were something specific such as, well, the old man's missing, we have to find him. Okay, then that's a side quest that will directly help us with the main one. They did this well in the first Dragon Age game. The guy you need help from is dying and can't help you unless you go get the thing that will cure him. So at least that's relevant. Yeah, what I look at with that is um, what is the situation of the character when they complete the side quest? Mm. Uh, And this this is where yes, but no, and is a useful diagnostic tool. So if the character has completed the side quest and they are in exactly the same condition that they were before the side quest... That side quest, that that subplot is a side quest. It didn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. You can pull that out without affecting of, anything. I don't, I don't know if you've any any of you have ever tried to match a necktie to a suit coat, but I think <laughs> of side quests as neckties because depending on the tie you pick, the colors of the suit will come out differently. I, I don't know if you guys see this mm-hmm. when you when you. Do. I'm, I'm sorry, Howard. I am laughing at you because this is why women have so many shoes. Yes, yes. that's <laughs> the, well. Like, the point oh, being, if your side man, quest, a tie. If your if your side quest uh, only exists because you want to be wearing a tie or because you want to be wearing shoes, that's one thing. If it exists because you picked it in order to call out portions uh, of the main quest that are not being called out otherwise, to provide a contrast, then, yeah, to provide a contrast to provide complementary colors, whatever, mm-hmm. then then you've selected it better. That is, yeah. That's very well said. I'm going to steal is. that. I'm going to use that in classes. Yeah, that it's is. awesome because if you're teaching and you're wearing a tie, it's right there. Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> I need to start wearing to ties. Or shoes. <laughs> shoes, yes. <laughs> no hobbiting. <laughs> no, no hobbiting. Um, all right. Um, so the next one, some of these I'm, I'm looking at and like, oh, we, we're going to talk about that. You just haven't heard us do it yet. Um, Especially in a longer story, how important are breather chapters that ease the tension? Depending on the genre you're writing in, they can be very important or they can be distracting. True. And this we, you will hear a lot about when we talk about pacing. Yeah, uh, the, our second pacing episode, uh, August mm-hmm. 9th-ish, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To put it as briefly as possible... If you're writing a thriller or something that needs to be very fast-paced, use very few, if any, breather chapters. If you're writing something or very use long... breather scenes in yeah. the middle of... Yeah. Um, if you're writing something that's very long, it can be very nice to have those thrown in every now and then. I also I think, think that maybe not... Uh, I, I wouldn't think of them as breathers because if I think of it in those terms, I would be letting the tension go. Yeah. And that's not really what you want to accomplish. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't do it as an entire breather chapter. I'd probably do a breather scene. Mm-hmm. And even there, I would probably end that breather scene with a raise in tension. Unless I'm doing something like Brandon's where he actually does, because he, he is writing the Chihuahua Killers, and he actually <laughs> does want people to be able to put the yeah. book down, coming to a coming to a resolution allows them to, you know, actually feed themselves. Uh, that question came from Leo, by the way, I forgot. Okay. I, I think it's worth pointing out here that, uh, that you can vary the tension and you can vary the texture of your story without necessarily resorting to something as relaxing as a breather. Yeah. Sometimes you need to put in a scene or a chapter in which your characters react to something huge, even if it doesn't necessarily let up any tension it sometimes you act and sometimes you react. If I can make a yeah. brief analogy to dance, actually, there mm-hmm. are the moments where the dancer is still, 
but they're not relaxed, they aren't stopped. It's that just moment where everything is in poise before they then move forward again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I will say one of the things that I discovered when I was writing Of Noble Family is that I did need longer uh, reaction recovery periods for the characters because the stakes, um, they're in a slave plantation and things are, I wrote Regency Grimdark, so things are significantly... Uh, more brutal than they are in Shades of Milk and Honey. So Shades of Milk and Honey, I didn't need as much in the way of giving the readers time to process as I did in Of Noble Family. All right. I think we've got time for one more. I think so. So do you have any interesting methods for organizing, developing, and interweaving plot and subplot threads? Um, and then there's a follow-up to this, which is uh, even after the brainstorming, outlining, pre-writing, uh, how much do you weave in your head versus what you write in your outline notes? Oh, geez, that's an entire episode. Well, <laughs> it, the yeah. thing, the, the reason I, I think this one is good is that a lot of the stuff we talk about really is geared for people who are outliners. And I think that talking about how to do this, how to think about it for people who are not outliners, who are, who are pantsers, and you're, you're more of a pantser than I am, Marie. Yeah, um, it's actually interesting that they use the verb weave because all of my metaphors for writing are textile-based. Um, yeah. The problem is I don't have a very clear answer for how I manage that. It's just that... Um, actually, uh, Marissa Lingen, uh, in a recent blog post, used a very good term for it, which is proprioception. That's your, your sense of, you know where your limbs are, even if you're not looking at them, right? You just, you have that internal sense of it. Um, and she used this as an analogy for kind of having that sense of the shape of your story and where is there room to add something, uh, where does something need to be cut because it, it's interfering. Um, and I think I, I do it kind of more on that instinctual proprioception level rather than mm -hmm. any sort of organized chart to show me how things fit together. Yeah, I, I do a lot of discovery writing. And what I find is that I can usually tell, you know, one of these, these forms of proprioception, I can usually tell that there is a hole in the middle when I get to the end and what the character is doing or saying feels wrong. It feels false or it feels unearned. Yeah. Um, and then I think, well, why does it feel that way? Oh, probably because back here he didn't respond appropriately to this or he didn't learn this. Or I never made it clear that there was this other thing going on in his head. Exactly. And that, that is still not a really hard and crunchy uh, writing tip, but it, it's a little more firm than you just kind of tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, uh, you know, Marie, you've been writing for a while. Dan's been writing for a while. We've, we've all been doing this for a while. And this sense of proprioception, this innate ability to tell when something is going wrong, has grown out of writing a lot of things where we didn't write them well. True. Yeah. One thing that I, um, I would say is that when you are learning to... Um, and this works for pantsers, when you're learning to, to interweave things, that sometimes it's useful to um, to sit down and do something that is only a single thread, just so that you know exactly how that kind of thread works, and then try adding another thread and making sure that you're adding both things at the same time, that you're handling them. And it's, it is... It is something that it develops with practice, um, and it is, it's much like playing an instrument or anything else where you're, you're building a sort of muscle memory, but you're building it for your brain. Uh, and I forgot to say that that question came from Michael Rittenhouse. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you for the great question. We are out of time. And uh, 
I've got an exercise for you that should take uh, take not just you, Michael, all of our listeners, uh, <laughs> yes. from uh, from our month on middles to next month on pacing. Uh, and I call this murdering the middle, darling. Uh, you've you've worked your way through the middle. Uh, go back into it and remove an element from the entire middle and see how that changes the read of things. Uh, see if that was really necessary to get you to the ending. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Uh, the easiest way to find out is to kill it. So, uh, you're out of excuses. Now go right. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.